conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media, and then IRL. And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Row. Row provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Row Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Roe, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash Girls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash Girls. Sign up today. I'm a fire sign and a smoke show. <laughs> Thomas. The only thing I'm guilty of is talking about facts and fuckery. Oh, you guys. And I love it because it's true. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the wonderful world of Mondays. You guys, it's Andy's Girls. It's episode 251. We have already had like a seven-hour pre-show because I wanted to know the tea about some stuff in the news. I got an explainer. I'm so educated and informed. I'm ready. As a as a as a newcomer to the world of true crime, we just had yep. a, a fun little journey into why, you know, if you be crime men. Don't have your cell phone. You know, it's yeah, a absolutely. We talked about emergency files, having emergency right? contacts, letting people know where you're going to be. We did a whole, whole deep dive, not just from like prosecutor perspective, but also like real life perspective. It is, it is a weird world because you're being tracked so much on social media, but also you're being tracked so much on your phone. But if you don't let people know where you are, they can't always access that tracking easily. So. That's what we were chatting about a little bit. Right? Like, I don't know. I know that I pay $10 a month for the cloud or iCloud or some sort of cloud in the sky. (laughs) And I don't, I know it's like storage, but I don't know why it's so expensive. I don't know what purpose in the world. I was in the Apple store the other day. I was like, but shouldn't it save if you like still delete stuff off your computer? And they were like, please leave, like educate yourself and come back when you're smarter. And I, I, it's so confusing, but I was listening to it because I'm new to, I'm new to murder. And I was listening to a murder pod, which is what I now call them. And they were genuinely like, you're fucked if you ever have owned a phone in your life. I had no, nor did many bad people, yep. had no idea how 
excellent it is at aiding in the investigation of serious crime. Oh, for law enforcement, it is a massive tool to be able to triangulate cell phones. I did, and as a younger DA, I was brought on to more serious cases to do the tech side of it. I've always been tech inclined. I, you know, when I worked in Congress for a summer, people were like, Mm. did you do important things? I'm like, I fixed a Xerox machine, the same Xerox machine, (laughs) at least daily. I helped people understand their email. I gave tours of the Capitol and occasionally answered the phones. But no, was I working on policy? No, I was working on this is how you don't reply to all. Like, (laughs) this was was my level of tech. But I would get pulled into cases because I understood the tech, which afforded me a lot of opportunities. And that's something I really leaned into. So Mm. when I got to do, like, be present during the Lindsay Lohan prosecutions, it's because Mm. there was AV involved and I'm your girl. And there was a, a... homicide case that I was a part of prosecuting on the prosecutorial team with another DA and did all of the cell phone evidence and really got to experience what it was like to try to explain how all these points of data meant that this person was here, there, and everywhere um, at the time that this crime happened. So it was very interesting to see in real life. And then just prosecuting things like shoplifting at Target. Target's got the greatest cameras ever Mm. like they can they can see into your whole life and give you an eye exam they know everything at target when they do like fraudulent checks and stuff they can zoom all the way in on your hand signing things like there's no playing with target loss prevention it's crazy i mean i worked at bloomingdale's for a week and a half right after graduating from college and then Saks for uh, I think around a year I honestly forget and it was during one of them like during the you know however long process of training before you you know go on the floor or whatever one of them has a jail in their store I forget if it's the Bloomies both of these are here in New York if it's the Bloomies or if it's I think it might be Saks but like we got the little to- and there is I've worked in yeah. many retail locations and their varying degrees of success and of like on the ground ops when it comes to loss prevention, which could be, you know, theft from employees stealing from the store or yep. customers or uh, using credit cards or something. so many different forms. But like Saks does not fuck around. Oh, no. With LP. Oh, no. Do, like undercover. They had. Yep. Several years, they have people undercover who look like customers because, like, oh, they're in like daywear. No, those people are looking to they're fuck watching you. you up. They're watching <laughs> literally everyone. You know what would be a good idea for me to keep my eye on? Introducing this week's <laughs> <laughs> guests. They're like, is this what your pre show is like? Yes. Yes, yes this it is. is literally entirely. <laughs> I was like, Emily, before we get started, teach me what crime is. Okay. And so I have to tell you guys, she's back. She is phenomenal. And she's here to blow everybody's minds. Emily D. Baker, former prosecutor, is everyone's favorite legal commentator and the host of The Emily Show, where she gives a fresh take on legal commentary in the news and the pop culture stories you want to talk about. She's also a renowned Bravo-holic and Bravo expert, and I've had her on a couple episodes, and I'm so excited. She's back. Official 
legal correspondent for Andy's Girls. What's the I'm name of so the show proud of being. About? I'm so proud of being the official legal correspondent to the show. <laughs> you have no idea. I'm geeked. I love it. I'm here for it. I feel like you know when when Bravo comes on, my husband's like, "Oh, we have mm. work." I'm like, "We have work. It's time to watch Housewives." I'm yes. I'm really enjoying TV related lawsuits mm. because I'm like, no, we get to deep dive into stuff. There's a new Queen's Gambit lawsuit. And so I've been binge watching that. And my husband's like, oh, so this is what we're doing for work now. I'm like, yes, please. Let's have more TV lawsuits. I didn't like the one where I had to watch cuties, though. That was a little disturbing. I would not have chosen to watch that outside of that lawsuit. Oh, I don't know what cuties is, but I don't. a thousand percent love <laughs> Queen's Gambit. Yes. What's the lawsuit? There's a essentially a defamation lawsuit going on, and I'll be diving into this on my show tomorrow over okay. one of the central women that they feature later. I haven't gotten to the episode where it comes up yet, feature later on in the show, and they said in one line that she never played against a man, and the lawsuit says she did, in fact, play and win against men. It diminishes her legacy, and it's sexist, oh. so they asked Netflix for a retraction and a restatement. That's not how it's stated in the book. And so, um, yeah, that's that's what's going that's what's going down. They so misrepresented the someone's legacy. So it's like the it's heir her. to someone who's she's in oh, her she's still alive. Eighties. Yep. Wow. And she is trying to correct the record on her legacy. So it's not that uh you know it seems from the lawsuit that the perception was it was, oh, she was really good for a woman, but she never really was tested <gasps> against men, but she was a grandmaster and all this. So it it is a big deal. So she is protecting her legacy with this lawsuit. And again, lawsuits as PR pieces. I don't know if this lawsuit will go anywhere. I think it'll probably settle. But the lawsuit's going to get more coverage than her team putting out a statement saying, actually, Netflix got it wrong, you know? I mean, honestly, good for her. Yeah, I would say is Calling like it yeah, out. fucking and go after Netflix. They got so much fucking cash. Their legal team is like awesome. Like, give me something to do today. You know, I'm sure they that asked, they're not busy. They asked for an apology. They asked for this the like uh, the sentence in voiceover to be restated. Netflix was like, no, no go. And so they're like, okay, fine, we're wow. gonna see you now. So I wonder how many other people are now binge watching the Queen's Gambit because of this. And then it like benefits Netflix in a weird way. But yeah. I'm uh, yeah, it's interesting stuff. So I love it when legal and television collide. Oh, my God. I love it, too. And also, it does actually, honestly, instinctively make me want to rewatch The Queen's Gambit. Right. And be like, oh, show. what part of it is this? And fucked. Yeah. What's wow. the context? I I'm going to need to do a little Goog after and hear more about this woman. I'll send you some I links. I don't know. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, please give me some homework. I need, <laughs> I, I'm in this school of life and I want to graduate with honors. Listen, Emily D. Baker, there's so much for us to discuss. I have been trying to hold off on asking you to come literally every week, which I want to, <laughs> because there's so much that taps into that intersection yeah. of like, Bravo on camera meets Bravo off meets national news meets legal matters. When you're watching a Bravo show, what is your relationship or reaction to these pl central plots when they do intersect? Like, are you able to separate the part of you that is that legal commentator, former prosecutor, and watch this 
like one step out of yourself or do you connect with that spirit all the more? No, I'm kind of in it. It's really mm. hard because I know I'm going to be talking about it too. It's hard to disconnect the analytical brain, particularly when it's watching the Girardi stuff go down because we're on a timeline. We know when they're filming. And I covered that case from the Edelson PC lawsuit in Illinois that was the first thing to call the divorce a sham. From that mm. point forward, I covered it pretty closely. So I'm like, oh, oh, the the forced bankruptcy is coming. Like it's winter is coming. We're getting there. We're like, <laughs> we're in that period of time where we're going to start to see these things uh, picking up on the show. So it's, it's hard to disassociate the timeline of the legal stuff from the timeline of the, the show and being able to tag kind of figure out when they're filming certain things. Of course, with production, it's hard to know exactly when stuff mm -hmm. is being said, but it's hard not to watch some of the comments. Like when Erica's cheersing with what looked like the, the Baccarat champagne flutes and she's like snuck these out in the middle of the night. And I'm like, what are you even saying right now? Or parting gift or whatever she said. And, and you know, Kyle sitting there going, oh, did you take these out of the Pasadena house? And it's like, right, but this is the, her taking stuff out of the Pasadena houses now part of two different um, kind of not investigations, but two different points of contention within the different bankruptcies. Cause there's one lawyer in the bankruptcy of Tom Girardi as a person trying to go after anything that might be community property, anything that was marital property, including champagne glasses that might be $500 for a pair to sell an auction off and get back into the bankruptcy. And then we've seen, the bankruptcy of the law firm play out on social media very loudly with the prosecutor in that or the special litigator in that case suing Erica Girardi over it looks like American Express card payments and other payments made from the top uh, law firm to benefit Erica, you know, Jane as the performer. So it's interesting watching all of that play out and me going, girl, no. And like she mm. she's ordering drinks and what was it at the... Um, the launch party for Rena Lip, where there was a like, you know, guilty or something like that. And mm -hmm. that's the drink she leans into. I'm like, everything you're choosing to do right now is weird. And then we see PK becoming the voice of reason this season. And that doesn't make any sense to me at all because <laughs> I hated him during the Erica Girardi, like panty gate. And now I'm like, mm -hmm. I mean, PK, you're not wrong, my guy. You're just, you're not wrong. <laughs> What do you think that the show or rather the cast is getting wrong about this specific case or the central idea of what Tom has done? Is there a think... central point that they're they're fucking up in the narrative of it all or in their reaction or defensiveness? I don't think they grasp the gravity of the situation yet, but also hindsight's 2020 it hasn't all come out yet at the point where they're filming. Now, later on on social media, everything is known. And some of them are still like, you know, ride or die for Erica. But I don't think the cast appreciates how bad it is. And I think there are still a lot of questions because the way Erica is storytelling this season is very disjointed and very strange. So I understand why the cast is suspicious. I haven't seen anything where I'm like, oh, what are you guys doing? I think they're right to ask questions. I think Erica has been very defensive. What I haven't seen her say is, you know, you know, I can't talk about this for legal reasons. It's hard going through it too. And I feel bad for everyone who's been taken advantage of by Tom. She hasn't done that. What she's done is imagine what it's like for me, 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 me. And I think that's where it's kind of falling 
for the audience on deaf ears. I mean, PK at one point was like, has she once mentioned the victims? And Dorit was like, yeah, she did. But what she did was respond to someone else saying, and that person being Garcelle, being like, you will be fine. But having personal experience from my, I think it was sister, being yeah. fucked over by a, by a lawyer in a settlement. I mean, those are the people who are who have been most harmed and most impacted. And her response was something along the lines of like, yes, of course they're number one, but I didn't, I don't have a sense from her behavior, seeming legal strategy, which you would know more about. And just her perspective and the lens in which she's responding to things that she gets it or wants to when it comes to how many people were egregiously harmed. I I keep watching the show looking at her going, oh, she thinks she's a victim too. She and that's where she's that that's where it seems that she's coming from. Like I didn't know all this either. The problem is she she will be harmed going forward, I think, reputationally, I think financially for sure. But during that time she benefited. Um, mm-hmm. and so it's different than the victims who found a lawyer, trusted them to fight for them, got a settlement and then got screwed over and probably won't be made whole, um, as whole as they can be made after the horrible things that happened to them that led them to Girardi Keys in the first place. But it seems that Erica sees herself as a victim and has no room for empathy outside. I'm sure her lawyers are also sitting down with her saying, look, we don't, we don't really know how deep this hole goes. Do you know how deep this hole goes? Do you know what he's been putting on the taxes? Have you read your taxes? Like this could have much larger implications for her. And I think she's very much stuck in what the implications are for her. I think her processing that off of a TV show might not have, have, um, garnered so much ire but she's processing through all that on a tv show where we're all watching months and months and months later knowing how many lawsuits there were knowing how many times tom girardi you know escaped punishment from the california bar etc etc we're all watching it with hindsight and it just feels uh tone deaf doesn't it it totally does. And when you think of the idea of <clears throat> being a victim or being defensive about a really difficult situation, I'm not going to say that her cast members are as large a potential victim as Erica may have been as, you know, being misled by her husband potentially, which is in a different world entirely from the actual victims who should be centered IRL and certainly are legally uh, or should be legally. But if we're going to go down the path of victims and defensiveness, I do think her cast members (laughs) are also, I don't know if victims is the right term, but her her cast members were also betrayed by her husband and betrayed by the portrayal and the use of the television show to potentially help his career, which we now know are crimes. And also her cast members have the right to be defensive in the sense that they deserve the right to defend their reputation. Absolutely. And her ability to weaponize that while insisting that her sense of victimization and her sense of defensiveness is always appropriate and or should never be questioned is like ludicrous to me. It's very interesting watching it play out because I think 
Garcelle and Sutton have been right on. I think everyone else mm. has a big bark behind the scenes. I was very surprised when Rinna was sitting down with Garcelle and acted shocked about everything Garcelle was saying. And Garcelle's like, nobody's had my back. And I think that's true. But what we've seen from Erica is the second she's questioned a little more than she wants to be, she snaps into anger and not just a little bit of anger, but a lot of very vicious anger. And from the lawsuits and the voicemails that have been released in the lawsuits, we're seeing that side from Tom as well. And that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Like you can question me to a point and I'll be charming and I'll be sweet. And then when I get pushed too far, I will snap into don't you fucking threaten me. And it's, it's interesting because we see the same thing with Jen Shaw from last season. And I think we're going to see it coming up on this season of Salt Lake too, is that, you know, once they're questioned beyond their comfort zone, they, they really do snap. And Erica's snapped pretty hard. I, you know, I'm not an Erica defender by any means. I understand she's under a lot of stress, but the women are right to ask her questions. And she did choose to film a reality show. And, and where's Rinna and all of this? She, she went so hard after Denise. For, for Denise's like, stories not making sense. Erica's stories aren't making sense this season either, or at least in the way they're airing, um, aren't making a whole lot of sense. And the explanation, I saw a clip of Sarah Paulson and Rinna on Watch What Happens this past week, and Rinna's, Sarah Paulson in, in some way defending their relationship, but doing so, you know, as a third party, said something along the lines of like, we'll never know Rinna, the level of Rinna's actual relationship in history with with um Denise versus with Erica she may have more invested in the Eric relationship which I think is an important point and is nuanced enough but I also wonder Rinna how close do you think you are to Erica if you had literally no idea that she was even thinking of getting divorced and yet this is the person that you're trusting with everything and also in your own way weaponizing people when they question otherwise like There is a sense of demanding trust, which is based on vulnerability, hopefully a mutual exchange of it, and then weaponizing it when one party never does it, but gets really fucking pissed when another one does in a way they would rather they not explore, if that makes any sense. Like Sutton is being to me vulnerable in asking, she is putting herself in front of the firing squad, but is also being vulnerable about her fears of what the whole Tom and Erica yada yada could do to her legally, professionally, personally. I think that requires vulnerability. And yet we haven't really seen it from Erica unless it involves some sort of seeming performance. Yeah, we haven't. And notice at the dinner, there was no mascara running down the face. There were tears. And I really think that that's why she, you know, at at the dinner party from Hell Part 2, I think that's why she recoiled so strongly from Garcelle. I don't think it was Mm -hmm. that she didn't want to be touched. I think it's that she wanted to let the tears fall and be caught by camera. Is that super cynical of me? I feel like it is. (laughs) I, I... It feel I feel like I am watching a performance, which is actually not a judgment. It's just an observation. It's not intended to be a judgment. It could land as one and I wouldn't be upset about it, but it doesn't. To me, it feels like I am watching a performance. The way that she communicated to Kyle, this newest 
uh, her son's car flipped six times or it rolled or whatever. And Tom, there was a burglar uh, and he had to go to the hospital, but it was an eye stuff with glaucoma, which is maybe triggered by stress. And her son had to go instead of her, but also like, where did she get the call and what's happening? The way that she delivered that line, the, the like dulcet tones in her voice, it the way it was like performative in the sense of being nonchalant nonchalant while I throw this explosive new revelation into the air, it feels like a performance. She's not leaving room for connection. She's lobbing things at people right. in front of the camera, waiting for it to land. And I don't know if that's a defense mechanism or an active choice. I just don't I mean like how do you process that? How do you process watching that? That's exactly you're exactly right on what it feels like. It feels like her walls are very much up and she's like throwing information over but you can't mm-hmm. like shout back up and ask a question because the conversation the way she says things is not a conversation. It is hurling information and the conversation is closed and that's Kyle you saw Kyle like stammering mouth open going wait 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 what did you just like what did you just say? But it wasn't, it wasn't like your friend having a moment where everything's pent up and it was just like, oh my God, girl, blah, like all of this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a release of information in, in a, a kind of natural closeness way. It, it was like a, yeah, I mean, I'm under a lot of stress. It was a very odd, it was a very odd way to share that information. And it felt like Erica's trying to be like, Look, I'm being more open and transparent. I think the most open and transparent we've heard her be is the hot mic when she was in the bathroom in um, Palm Springs when she's like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to be open I'm and like gulping for air. I think we're seeing the fallout of that of where she's trying to perform to stay on the show because now where else does the money come from going forward and trying not to share so much that it's going to get her in hot water. And yet everything she does this season is being picked apart on social media in a way different than what I'm seeing from the way people are responding to Jen Shaw. And it's very interesting to me to watch the different treatment of the two. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Um, I think some of the, the flames are getting fanned on Erica a little bit harder. Um, I think there are definitely more known victims, like more victims have come forward. You've got the hustler and the housewife that brought more attention to it. Um, And then Girardi's kind of off limits behind a conservatorship and nobody's really poking at him or asking about the other lawyers from the firm where with Jen Shaw, she's the one that's been indicted in New York. She's the one who the U.S. Attorney's Office said is one of the kind of the tier A most culpable, most responsible Mm. defendants in this scheme. And as the show started airing, it's not really being treated the exact. I'm just not seeing people respond the same way. And that's just an interesting observation. I don't know what's behind it. Does some of it have to do with the fact that, I mean, obviously we have known Erica for longer and because her characterization and time in the show has been built on the foundation of uber wealth like a part of her personality on the show is her traveling glam that that became a core part of her or i, mean, I think of that the, was the biggest part of her 
right? Yeah. It's all, it's all about the expense and the maintenance and the escapism that we can feel by someone who is performing wealth and to find out the cost of that, the human cost of that, because there are other elements of Jen that are so flawed and that are so overwhelmingly performative, I think people were shocked obviously when Jen's arrest happened and obviously like oh my god it happened on camera or it happened near it (laughs) that's like a different kind of experience versus I think fans developing what they thought was a relationship to Erica through the life that she lived and then felt misled you know there's talk about trust there's also a trust in the relationship that we have with these women where our hope is that like burn victims and people who have lost relatives in plane crashes weren't the cost of your time on reality TV. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's I know. Like no, jet- you're, you're as I'm like, I haven't, as I'm sitting trying to process it, it is, there is, you know, a different kind of betrayal. And I think the length of time we've watched Erica, because I've got like Erica is a mom. She's almost mm. 50. She looks mm-hmm. amazing. And she amazing. found a second career that she's passionate about later in life. I think a lot of people were rooting for both of them. Um, I feel like it's that moment from America's Next Top Model where it's, we were all rooting for you. Oh right? Yes. And and I, I think as you bring that up, the betrayal to the audience and the betrayal to the fans who liked Erica I think a lot of people love to hate Jen Shaw the way people love to hate um, some of the other cast members. I think people really felt, um, I think, inspired and able to escape with the Erica Jane persona and the expensive to be me songs and, and the escapism. And the escapism for a lot of these franchises is just gone right now. It is not light and fluffy and like oh look at these rich women getting into nonsense getting drunk saying stupid shit whatever it's there's not a lot of escapism in the seasons that are are airing currently yeah and you can do a brag brag or a humble brag and there are ways that lisa vanderpump has like you know been able to show us the glory of what looks like an abundance of wealth with villa rosa with the tailored shirts that are you know six hundred dollars a piece with the ponies ponies in her she has many ponies in her and i don't bat a fucking eye i am like of course she does she has two and she went to ohio to get a third and it didn't work out we all know that we all know that moment but with erica there was the performance of wealth the realization of success and fame and also the idea that she built an empire whose face was like a little bit of a smirk. It is expensive yeah. to be me. And I'm going to show you why. how many fucks do I give? Zero, 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 none. none. There is the idea that she doesn't give a shit, which is fun to see. It feels like a woman owning her life and her power. And now we know how that power was used and access was used to directly abuse people and yet she's still keeping the smirk yeah yeah i i think the smirk at this point feels like a giant fuck you to everybody um and and especially when we watch on the show her sitting there going i am going to remember who was with me and who was against me i was like do you think you're the fucking mafia i mean what what is what what are you going to do 
and I, if I were Sutton, I'd be looking at her going, or what, or what, what are you going to do? Sue me. Where are you going to get the money for that? You're going to sell the Cartier ring now. Is that what, like, or what you're going to hurl an earring at me? Also, who is she suing in defense of? It didn't feel like she was doing that in defense of herself. It, it felt didn't. like she was doing that in defense of fucking Tom. It did. Not literally fucking Tom. Figuratively yeah, yes. fucking Tom. Nobody yes. is currently fucking Tom. But like, I don't, I don't, I mean, the federal government is trying to see what happens <laughs> They there. would like but to. I, yes. I, they really would. Um, I'd like to see it happen. I, I think the IRS is going to get their crack at that. I, I don't know if we will see like a criminal prosecution for all of the the malfeasance that's been alleged for the embezzlement from clients and things like that. I think what we'll see is the IRS being the one that actually brings the hammer down for tax issues. That's what I think is going to happen long term. Wait, has the Just IRS been involved yet? Oh, no. I'm sure the IRS is involved. There's no but way like, they're not. No, we haven't seen anything. Right. We know that there's we know that there's tax debts just from what's been filed in bankruptcy to the state of California Franchise Tax Board. If there's money owed to the Franchise Tax Board, my guess is there will be money owed to the feds. And with all of this attention, they're going to be like, mm. I would love to see what all. Oh, look, look at how many companies there are. Look at what the bankruptcy trustee has shown of how many different LLCs there are. There's someone at the IRS that's investigating it. I, I would be shocked if there weren't um but we won't see that for a while the same way with the judices season one triggered somebody mm. going huh they're kind of spending cash the way people who launder money do that's weird maybe we should take a look and then years later we see them coming up on a federal indictment um the same will happen with the droides huh there's art that might have gone missing in this burglary that that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense and there's these other things so i think I think we'll see that. It, it might take a few years, but we'll see that. What do you think of Erica's current legal strategy? Can you give a little bit of an overview to us and what your response to that would be? I don't know what Erica's current legal strategy is. I mean, right now her legal strategy, well, right now her legal strategy seems to be circle the wagons because we don't know how much mm -hmm. worse it's going to get. Um, mm -hmm. There doesn't seem to be a PR strategy. There seems to be a strategic legal circle the wagons do not pay a cent more than you might owe like we're not out here for charity is definitely not what's happening we're not out here for the you know lawyer for the bankruptcy trustee being on twitter going you have 10 days to return this money like they're not doing any of that in the bankrupt excuse me in the bankruptcy of the um Gerardi Keys law firm they are going to fight tooth and nail to prove that she doesn't owe any of that 25 million that that was money Tom improperly paid on the credit cards that that's not money that can be uh, recouped by the bankruptcy estate and I think they are circling the wagons because they don't know yet what she's going to end up paying potentially tax-wise potentially on the other side of the bankruptcy because she's still married as a co-debtor to a lot of those personal debts um, and what marital property she might have to sell out so I think their strategy is really try to maintain as many assets as possible for Erica for whatever shoe may drop next. And you can't really fault her for that. It doesn't look good in the public sphere. I want all the money to go back to the victims. I think she should sell everything that she can. But I realize that they legally will need to come up with a number that's going to be kind of the end. So whatever she pays out, it's done. And they're not coming back for more and more and more. Um, her lawyer and I chatted 
her lawyer in the bankruptcy and I chatted a few weeks ago because I asked for comment on her American Express bills being put on Twitter because I think it's a invasion of privacy and I thought it was a it, oh, wow. I thought it was improper to to do I've made many comments of that the attorney that put them up does not agree with me and has made and that the attorney known. that put him up is Ronald Richards yep has made it well known to me that that we see things differently on this but I reached out to ask Erica's mm-hmm. attorney for comment about it because I hadn't seen comment anywhere uh, Ron Richards is like you didn't ask me for comment I'm like it's your tweet you made you made comment yeah he's commenting all over the <laughs> you, place you've made plenty of comment and Erica's lawyer had not been aware. He's like, I'm monitoring her case, not Twitter, really, um, and was not aware those were up there and then gave a statement to me about that being, they perceived it to be an invasion of privacy. They're actually appealing the judge's decision to leave Ron Richards on the case and trying to still have him removed from the case because of the behavior on social media. So I think her strategy is really trying to keep this out of the court of public opinion it's interesting to me because she's not faring well in the court of public opinion and will probably fare better legally in the bankruptcy court. I don't think mm-hmm. the court's going to find that she owes a full $25 million, um, because it looks like most of those were in-kind payments from the law firm on the personal American Express bills. I don't know if they're going to be able to get those back, which I don't like that result. Um, the more money that goes back into the law firm, the more money there is to go back to the clients who should have gotten paid. And unfortunately, with the bankruptcy, the clients who trusted a lawyer to represent their rights, who didn't know they needed to go and get their judgments perfected in a lien attachment are going to be at the bottom of the line. The legal lenders and the Rigomez family, who are the ones who went through such a long battle that they had another lawyer guide them with, no, this is how you perfect the judgment. You attach every property he owns, including the house out in... um, Palm Springs, including Mm -hmm. the law firm, including the personal, they're at the top of the line, but there's 4 million in assets right now and over a hundred million in in debts. So it's not going to go well. Not everyone's going to get paid. And she's still wearing her diamonds to film. She sure is. But this is before, again, before, before all of it came out, before the rest of the, the lawsuits. And I wonder... I don't know if we'll ever know what's in her head during filming um, with, oh, this can't get any worse because she was saying in, oh, I don't remember where they were when she was saying every day it's something new, but we're kind of at the bottom. I'm like, oh, no, keep digging. You're not at the bottom. There's more. Like, there's more coming. The bankruptcy is coming. The stay of the property is coming. Like, there's more still. So... Is she going to be, is it actually sort of a liability for her defense if she continues to reflect a life that hasn't necessarily changed aside from the stress of it? Like posting these photos on social where she's dripping in, I don't know, joie de vivre, but also designer looks. Like how does that help her to show these things that may have been borrowed, you know, but seemingly cost a lot of cash? I don't think it helps her in the court of public opinion. It's only going to hurt her if this goes to trial with a jury where they say, look at this. But if this, she's only been sued right now in the bankruptcy with regard to Girardi Keys, and they would have to prove that the law firm paid for those things. It looks like right now, a lot of the payments from the law firm went for food and glam and music videos. So it's not, I mean, we haven't seen all the financial records. We've just seen summaries of them, but it's, it's going to be hard to prove that that's money that can be recouped. So if it goes to a jury, yeah, it looks bad, but some of that they won't be able to use as evidence because 
the proof has to be what did the law firm do, not what did Erica do. And what I don't get when it comes to the court of public opinion is Ronald or Ron, Ronnie. I like Ronnie. We can go with that. Okay, perfect. Ronnie. Um, seems to Ronnie Jr. I don't know if he's a junior, but he, I get the sense energetically that he is. Um, I, I, I don't love the relish that he seems to take in all of this. And I don't entirely understand the strategy of the bankruptcy estate to allow him to perform in his own way on social which I would argue helps her defense in saying, look, this person is making a charade of this and also is genuinely after me, regardless of whether or not some of that anger is deserved. What is the, what is the, I know that we live in like yeah, the I don't love Trump it world and Avenatti world, but it just feels vindictive. It feels, yeah, vindictive. it feels very vindictive. And if, if you're just a commentator, like I'm not going to mm-hmm. tell somebody how to do that because everybody yeah. has their threshold for uh, pettiness, for shade, and for straight all vitriol. Everybody's got their own level of that. But once you're involved in the case, if, for right. me, it's it. We're dealing with a case of a lawyer that did what lawyers are not supposed to do. That that breached the ethics of my profession in a really shitty way and in a way that you wouldn't expect and is so deeply hurtful to people who trusted him. What you don't need is another lawyer involved in the same case exhibiting behavior that a lot of people are calling into question that also feels gross because some of it some of it's fair like hey case updates are great hey this is what happened in court today these are the latest documents we filed keeping everyone in the loop and being transparent completely fine with me and i think it lets the public know what's behind the scenes it shows the public look hundreds of thousands of dollars is owed by this law firm look we brought in hundreds of thousands or hundreds of millions by the law firm but we brought in hundreds of thousands of dollars in this auction here's the auction here's where you can buy stuff to help the victims great questioning her mental health because she said she was on Lexapro on the show goes I think to questioning her credibility and I don't for me that crosses a line putting up their personal American Express bills and two different cards one's a Centurion black card one being a platinum card um and and I think those were strategically released but also I think it's a violation of privacy rights Ron Richards disagrees with me and has told me as much but that I think makes it harder for everybody to focus on the point. And the point is Tom Girardi breached all of his ethical bounds, crossed the line and hurt a ton of people. The lawyers in his firm, instead of saying anything, seemed to jump ship and didn't protect their clients and the victims of this case. And Tom Girardi's wife benefited every single step along the way. And the bankruptcy's trying to get as much money back. But the thing in bankruptcy that's hard and I always liken it to after 9-11 when United went bankrupt. My mom was a United employee for over 30 years. Most of her retirement, United helpfully reinvested in their own stock because what could ever happen to the airline industry? They're they're too big to fail. So when United went into a restructuring bankruptcy, slightly different than what the Girardi-Keese bankruptcy is, she lost quite a lot. 
And I remember having these conversations and she's like, it's not right. I'm like, it's not right. It's bankruptcy. Like moral and legal are totally different. And this is legally, this company is restructuring to survive. It doesn't really matter to the company or the bankruptcy court what's happening to you. And it sucks. Um, and that's what's going to happen in this Dorothy Keys bankruptcy too. It's not about the people. It's about the estate and dividing up the estate and paying from the top down as much as you can. And bankruptcy feels kind of cold that way too. So to also have the vitriol towards Erica on top of it, I think has turned it all into a bit of a circus. Um, and I don't know how that helps anything. You know, it just directs anger at the person who down the road, if Erica's left on the hook for some of these debts as a co-debtor, she's going to have to earn money to pay those back. So does destroying her in the public eye and potentially her career help further the goal? I don't say prop her up and be like, look, she's all great. This is fantastic. I think you can question that all day long, but that is best left to people not directly involved in the case. And he could have chosen not to be involved in the case. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, it also does call into question what's the idea of justice and how do you pursue it? Like, what is the idea of justice in the eyes of the actual lawyers involved and the bankruptcy estate? And what's the idea of justice in the eyes of the Bravo community? And those could be totally, I think they're very totally different. different. I mean, how do you encapsulate that, do you think? When I break stuff down, I talk about the difference between legality and morality. And the thing is, mm. the law is supposed to make you whole, but it really can't. Like the harm and the breach of trust and the struggle that the clients of Tom Girardi went through when they didn't get the money they needed for medical bills, when they didn't get paid the settlements they were entitled to, no amount of money is going to fix that. And at the end of the day, they're probably not even going to get the full amount of the money that they're owed. So there's no making it whole. In bankruptcy, they're going to bring in as many assets as they can, divide them out to whoever gets them first and be done with it and be like, all right, the estate's closed. There's no more money. In the eyes of the Bravo sphere, I think they want to see, I don't know, some kind of at least, I don't know, apology, some kind of contriteness, some kind of notice, some kind of notice from Erica that she appreciates the gravity and the weight of something that has happened outside of herself and that she shares the gravity and the weight of something outside of just the direct impact to her. I think that's what people are waiting to see and have not seen. What do you think? I mean, I think that there's a sense of like punitive accountability. If that's that's something I just pulled out of my ass. I don't know if it makes any sense. It is. It does feel world. like on social people want to punish her. Yeah. I and I and I I feel like she I don't mean this in a critical way. I think she literally asks for it by making this into a joke. There is a, no, a there's way definitely, that she... there's definitely a lack uh, because what, after the show filmed, like how I look at the show filming versus how I look at the behavior on social now is very, very different. But even the posting like Mauricio and PK laughing at her being like, yeah, it feels great. It's like, come on. Like, I don't, are they required to tweet about the show? Are they required to be on social talking about the episodes as they air? Um, I don't know from a contract perspective. I know that it's highly encouraged. Uh, certainly, though, there is a sense of like the tenor being based on like promotional stuff. It's always good when the housewives are live tweeting during, yeah. but certainly her reactions, I don't know. It, it benefits the show in the sense that 
it's talking about this show within the context of this like huge fucking national story. But I, I mean, someone asked her, you know, why aren't you hiring a crisis comms thing? And her response was something along the lines of like a waste of money. And I mean, PK could be free if you're nice to him. His advice is, I think, incredibly important when it comes to the idea that this persona is no longer valuable to you and it might actually damage you. And every indication seems to point to the idea that you need to let go the Erica Jane, the zero fucks and the expensive and really open a different fucking door. And I don't know that you can get smarter advice from that. And her weaponization of it because they had a joke because this whole thing is fucking insane. Yep. And like, yeah, if he's going to have ankle surgery, but you're also saying he had a brain injury. Yeah. There is an element of ludicrous here and her weaponization of what might not feel great, but is also literally shock is a look. You're, you're, these are, in some ways, your greatest allies, they're still saying this is about Tom. They're not saying it's about Erica. Yep. And you're punishing them for that. Yeah. And it's it's interesting to see because, again, like with the crisis manager comment on Twitter, she could have mm. said, all of my money is going to legal. Um, mm. And and I don't have, like, I, I don't have it like that. <laughs> but... Um, she chooses instead to snark and or instead I I could could she just tweet out this is a hard this was a hard episode to watch back because I was so angry in the moment and so overwhelmed but no there's none of that she is both saying I want to silence you into support and also the only support that counts is you not using your voice And that is a very problematic strategy from the sense of, like, friendship. And I know that she's someone, deer in the headlights, feels like she's under attack. It's a whole other, I'm making this overly simplistic. However, if I am looking at someone who is trying to berate me into supporting them, you can do that. Heather Gay is doing a not great job of it when it comes to press interviews about Jen and like the, yeah, she might've done a lot of terrible stuff, but I'm her friend. So I support someone who's taken advantage of people at their most um, vulnerable. Of course, that's what a friend does. And it's like, cool, cool, cool. But you also need to be a friend to yourself and to vent at the world that someone is saying something that hurts your feelings. I mean, if I was them, I would say like this whole thing hurts my feelings. Like the fact that you've brought this into my life because of your relationship with your husband and his use of, you know, him being this like angel of kindness on the show. And it turns out he was like the fucking reverse. Yep. I don't know how that works on a basic baseline friendship level. I actually, I don't know how that works. It feels deeply emotionally manipulative and I don't love it. I don't love to see it. Yeah. It feels like a weird use of shame. And for the women that have been her friend the longest, I would imagine they would be the most hurt because you know, the, we were rooting for you. We were all charmed by Tom when we came to your house. Like we, you know, we embraced 
this. We didn't ask questions about your marriage because they never questioned their marriage because Erica was always like, we're great. Even in Tahoe, which feels like 100,000 years ago, even in Tahoe earlier this season, it's like, oh, it's the pandemic. He's just working away. He's just, he's working away. And then weeks later, it's like, I've left, I've moved out, I'm divorced, and he's mentally slipping. They should have taken his bar card. Like what, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. And I, I can't imagine the women aren't asking if they're really friends of Erica or if they were just castmates. And there's also the conversation of like, did Erica know, which is the number one conversation, number one question immediately following that is, did she benefit? Which feels somewhat obvious. She benefited. Yes. She I'll answer that question. Yes. Erica benefited. Uh, But to, did she know? We don't know. Her husband's like, I'm paying the credit card bills. She's like, whatever. It's expensive to be me. She didn't. How would she know that he's paying it out of the firm bank account and not the personal bank account? I don't know how she would know. Yes. But she sure had money coming in. And also, Bethany said some stuff publicly on her pod, which I cannot. The timing of it drove me fucking insane why couldn't she say this before the reunion but like it's fine do you think that was strategic because she knows the schedule of things like she knows the cycle of when they're recording things I think it was strategic in the sense of the flow of where things are with the show and knowing that this would get press I don't know that she was I I actually think she is and I don't mean this as a critique of her but I think she's like above thinking about like oh, the reunion is filming on this way. I don't think she She's cares. beyond it is what you're saying. She's just, yeah, she's I moved she's beyond like, it. I think she's like being real, mentioning yep. it at all, and not thinking about anything having to do with logistics. But I would have, as a, you know, punitive accountability, think that there's a little bit of that to go around in the sense of understanding a little bit more about the reality of this as Bethany goes on her podcast and talks about the fact that this was apparently Tom's misbehavior and misappropriation was an open secret in legal circles that Dennis talked about it. Friends of his talked about it. Tom owing them a lot of money, Tom performing wealth because he wanted to keep up with the Joneses and his version of Joneses was Erica Jane and wanting to in, you know, continue this charade this false idea of their reality and the fact that Bethany talked about this with people including Andy who she says called her after this stuff broke and was like you were totally right that to me calls into question his discussion in previous episodes of Radio Andy where he's like I had no idea, you know, like who, how were people to know? And like, we're waiting on more information. I do think it's, and I get why he didn't say, oh, and right. Bethany told me. There's so rumors. I, but I would argue that it does feel slightly disingenuous when you may have known that there was at least conversation about it, which is the most important part of this, when you ask if Erica knew. Because if people are talking about this openly, albeit on a different coast, right. but if people are talking about this openly, I don't know that Erica was key-keying with like the ladies who lunch 
who are lawyers. But I would say if there is an environment in which this is an open secret, it does matter that people associated with the show may be new. And also fucking Camille said this week on Twitter that she found out about it at Andy's baby shower because another housewife told her, I am dying to know which housewife that was. And it might not be one from Beverly Hills. Bethany wasn't there because she's like too cool for school when it comes to group events. (laughs) But... I would love to know who that was. Well, it's it's funny because the lawsuits, some of them predate Erica being on the scene, right? I mean, this mm-hmm. goes back not three years, not five years, but mm-hmm. decades of issues. So it does, it absolutely raises questions. And the legal lenders, you know, the legal lenders, I asked about it when I was starting to break this all down because I've been very much in the criminal law circles and not in the plaintiff's bar circles where he's dealing with other lawyers across the country and they're not getting paid um, their fees, which shouldn't be hard because it's like, oh, the case settlement came in. I pay my fees. I pay my costs. I pay the clients. I pay the other lawyers. That shouldn't be hard. And clearly it was, but these these things and the impropriety with the bar go back decades and she was getting served in at least the Rui Gomez case to sit for a deposition about where the money is um I imagine that Tom was like this is all bullshit but at some point she had to have questions um whether she knew the depth and breadth of it I don't know but there had to be questions there I think she was willfully not willing to question the hand that feeds and where's the accountability for that? Like where, where when it comes to the fact that his lawyer, his fellow lawyers didn't help their clients and instead tried to hide from this themselves. I mean, birds of a feather fuck you over together. So there is a sense that like, to me, it's like, yeah, it makes sense that you worked for this guy because that's what I would expect from the bar is so low, let alone right. the California bar. Like, it's so low that like, yeah, that sounds like the shitty kind of stuff that I would expect from a colleague of Tom Girardi. And he was I mean, he was paying, according to the bankruptcy records that we've now seen, he was paying his brother um thousands and thousands and thousands a month. He his son-in-law was working for him. So I mean, there was a lot of in the family, too, with this of who was getting paid now that we've seen the breakdown of what the law firm was spending. So I I don't know how, you know, as much as I'm saying there's nothing I've not seen anything where I go, this is the thing where Erica knew. But we've also got Tom's brothers involved, Tom's son-in-laws involved. Like there were never the, the son-in-law never talked to Erica and was like, hey, this is a problem. His brother never talked to his wife and said, hey, I've got questions like everybody's just flabbergasted and silent all of a sudden. And also when the fucking Madoff shit broke, people ran the hell away because there were, including close family members, his sons who were now carrying the weight of their father's crimes and how didn't they know. And the fact that they benefited from it with their lifestyle and, and you know, what actually happened? Ruth Madoff was married to a man who directly led to people I mean, dying by suicide, including one of her sons. People's lives were irreparably harmed forever. And the idea that you wouldn't want to interact with someone because they are, what is the phrase that she first used when she showed up? She's like, I'm toxic. I'm um, 
like a super chemical. I forget what the phrase is, but there I, is did a she sense. S- I, I don't know if she said toxic or it radioactive toxic. or. Yes. She's yeah. something along the lines of exactly something along yeah. the lines of radioactive. And yet she is weaponizing that kind of fear, which is so fucked to me. Like to say to Sutton, like, oh, you're afraid of me before threatening to sue her. Yeah. Of course she's radio fucking active because this situation is incredibly serious and awful. Why wouldn't she be? It would be weird to me. And I get the need for people to support her. But the idea that this isn't that these questions should never be asked. I can understand how hurtful that might feel, but it's not abnormal. What's abnormal is your husband stealing one hundred and one million dollars. Or, or whatever it is yeah. that is the app that is the that's the that's the element. that's the crazy stuff and we're not seeing any I mean I guess we shouldn't be surprised we're not seeing any empathy for Tom's clients because we're not seeing any empathy for her castmates either saying you know not even a hey I understand I'm confused too or hey I understand I've got questions too and I don't have answers so mm-hmm. I still don't have answers I walked out I walked away and I'm still figuring it out so I don't have answers for y'all I think could have handled that better than I am keeping a list of who is with me and who's against me choose wisely like that's that's where she came down just threatening people instead of trying to explain yeah a hundred percent and there is a phrase that Michelle Obama once said, I don't know if it was in the run up to 2016 or whatever, but she was like, the presidency does not change a person. It reveals them. And I think that also can be transferred to any period or sense of incredibly high stress and pressure. People have the right to act out, to respond. It's the protective mechanism of the fight or flight. And a lot of people might choose to fight. However, it is also true that moments of high stress, high uh, sense of power, responsibility, accountability, critique do at a baseline reveal a person. And the reveal of Erica Jane has been in no way good. And yet her defenders continue riding this train of like, well, I know her. She's really nice back when she had money. And what was there to her for her to fucking complain about? She was really nice to me or we worked together on a project and she was a pro or whatever it is. And it's like, at what point do we look at the current Erica Jane presented? Because the one that you interacted with was based on some sort of fraud and it doesn't mean that she actively participated in a fraud but it means the world that was presented to you the ways that she felt secure enough to do all of these professional things the money that allowed that process was not real what we are watching right now might be performative but it's also very real and what is it showing you about her character and why doesn't that matter that's a fantastic question. I don't know why it doesn't matter to her uh, supporters because it, and I think Sutton was trying to get to it saying, look, mm-hmm. it, I'm not against you. I just have questions. And, mm-hmm. and I think there's, well, obviously in Erica's world, there's no room for that, but I think that's the only way to even try to be a friend to somebody through it going, look, I have a lot of questions and I can't move forward with this until we have a real conversation. And a real conversation is not you hissing in my face. Like, that's not a real conversation. And I think 
Sutton has been right on this season. And I know mm. I, uh, things I didn't think I would be saying at the end of the season. It's like PK is kind of the voice of reason and mm-hmm. clearly a crisis manager um, and has been really transparent with his own struggles. And he's been like, yes. look, this is what I've been through. This is not how you handle it because it's what we're all thinking. Garcelle's been the voice of the audience calling out bullshit mm-hmm. and has gotten like dragged behind the, the production because of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, Sutton actually stood up and grew a pair and then turned around to talk to her friend Kyle. And Kyle was like, well, I actually thought you were kind of spineless. It's like, what am I going to do, Kyle? What are you going to do when somebody's hissing in your face? Come on. And Kyle's been, been two-faced. It's been an interesting season. And also Sutton was like, we should talk or whatever the language was. And Erica said, absolutely not. You're going to listen to someone when they say, I don't want to have a conversation. She's not going to push it. So everyone else pushing it and telling her she's being fake when she actually knows enough or maybe respects herself enough to not push on someone who's telling her don't push. Why would you? She Sutton has nothing to prove to anyone. She can help Erica by explaining that she wasn't there with a vested interest in burying her, but she is concerned about the situation and the waves of impact it could have on her. But she's not going to, like, prostrate herself in defense of the plot or the show. She doesn't need to do that to herself, and yet everyone is demanding her to do it unless she's fake. Why? Because it feels like a vehicle of distraction. Yeah. It feels like that. feels like that by Dorit, I guess, a little. And it feels like that by Kyle. Like, and certainly by Lisa Rinna, who's pretending she's too drunk to do anything but pet a fucking dog. <sighs> Rinna. I've got a lot of questions for Rinna this season. I mean, she just has not brought um, the, the you know, call it out accountability uh, that we've seen in seasons past. So it's been interesting to watch. I have to ask what you thought of the beginning of Salt Lake City. I know we've we've talked Beverly Hills to death, but mm. the first the first vignette, the first two minutes of Salt Lake City with Homeland Security coming in. What did you think? I watched the premiere episode in advance of the premiere and I texted the person who I'd been in touch with about it and was like, I cannot believe they're beginning with this. I actually I could I could have seen them ending maybe the premiere because they end the premiere with like the super trailer essentially of what's to come. I could see them ending the premiere with it. I was shaken by the fact that they be like they were like we are not there is going to be no fluff this season. There is only the explosion and starting with the explosion I I was shaken and I mean completely I mean it's like that premiere episode got me pregnant like I just not, <laughs> not really but, like, but yeah rivet, I, riveted you were like it gave me everything I, I wanted like, and then some and then like thanked truly. me truly <laughs> I mean I am naming that fake baby season two because I can't spiritually I was like this I mean Mike I couldn't I I and the second episode I, I all of and all of this stuff with Meredith and um Brooks and Jen and Jen and Heather are it's a fascinating journey to go through in and of itself knowing what we have to come and knowing how Jen is going to attempt to connect some dots yeah. between between Meredith and Brooks to being arrested which I think is 
a master stroke of dumb and I am absolutely <laughs> here for it. But tell me your thoughts and your thoughts on that strategy too. I on the, was, talk about comms. I mean, I was dying that they started with it. I, I love, look, I love a good shady production edit. I mm. love when Jen Shaw's like, I don't know what's going to happen with my marriage. And they're playing all the clips of her wild ass behavior from last oh season. Um, I think it's interesting how much we're seeing of, Jen Shaw trying to rebuild this season, knowing that the other shoe is going to drop. It's like, oh yeah, I was really drunk and pissed off last season. But mm-hmm. also we're all under the cloud of the fact that Jen knows that other people she's been in business with have been indicted and arrested and are pending trial as this is filming. She just doesn't know it's also going to be her. So when she's making quips about, well, I haven't been to jail yet, I'm like, bitch, no. The AUSA might grant that wish for you, dude. You You might get that moment. I was just blown away and I loved seeing the cameras scrambling and they're not quite mm-hmm. ready to record yet. I wish they hadn't turned off her mic and we had gotten to hear it, but I loved the behind the scenes franticness of the way it was filmed. Cause it was happening in real time. I don't know how well the strategy of somebody here, dying me out to the feds is going to work until we have more information because mm-hmm. what, I've been looking at on the the documents in this case. First of all, this is the third round of defendants connected with the same scheme that have been prosecuted. So there have been two other groups connected to this same scheme that have already gone through the prosecutorial process, gone through trial, been convicted or pled and sentenced. So this has been coming for a while. She was investigated by the FTC in what, like 2016 and deposed by them. So she knew these businesses were questionable. And then instead of not being in business anymore, she just changed the way she was doing it. So it was more sneaky. So she knew that she's had eyes on her for a substantial number of years now. Also, numerous defendants pled not that long before she was indicted. And normally when people plead guilty to the feds, it comes with a, hey, thank you for recommending a lower sentence. Here is everything that I know. And so I think if anyone spoke to the feds about Jen Shaw, it was her co-defendants who were like, oh, no, if I'm going down, you're going down, too. It's amazing how quickly loyalties end um, when you're across the table from federal prosecutors. And it looks like Stuart Smith is going to be pleading, too. And I imagine he's not keeping her name out of his mouth either, because at the end of the day, when you're in that situation, people are going to protect themselves and their families. I mean, when he first off, amazed. When he walked on screen, when he appeared on screen, I gasped. Right? Yeah. I was like, oh my God, there he is. Show him. Like her chief stew, her, you know, her partner and everything, including crime be crime. And I just, it, I, I was shaken because these are the two and, and we're pretending yep. that he's her first assistant in a line of many, which is, what it is suspicious he was suspicious <laughs> but he was also like taking care of stuff and opening the door and i wonder if he's watching the apps like i if i was him if i was his attorneys i would be like hey can you send me screeners or something i mean <laughs> like, right know, but we there, get a sense he, of what's coming <laughs> he's already given an indication that he's gonna plea i'm i'm sure that last season him being like I just do what she says and Jen being like he just does what I says um Mm -hmm. he just does what I say it's definitely going to come into come into play and I think 
the thing that like sealed the level of hubris for me with Jen Shaw was her tagline this season. Um, it was just like, that's what we're, that's what we're going with. All right. The, you know, everything by the time they're doing taglines, like, you know, you've been indicted and that's what you're picking way to double down Jen Shaw. So, I mean, I, Jen Shaw's not a defendant. I expect to plead. Maybe she will at the last moment, but it's going to be very interesting to see her kind of mount up like Elizabeth Holmes style and go through this federal prosecution and be like, she's one of the few women that's been charged in this entire scheme. And I'm sure she's going to lean into it and be like, look, why is everybody picking on me? I'm Jen Shaw. It's because I'm on TV and I'm sure it's going to all play into her defense. They're picking on me because I'm on television. And she does seem to, there's a difference between like Erica's defense, not in a legal strategy sense, but just like the ways that she is defending herself and her future and her character on Beverly Hills. And then there's the way that Jen seems to relish in the attention differently where she literally posted a meme that's like Erica Jane, yada, yada, yada. And then comes Jen Shaw, hold Hold my my drink. Yeah. Right, where she does seem to relish in the connection to Erica, regardless of the fact that that connection was made because of possible crime. Crime, crime. Yeah, I think Jen Shaw likes the thought of Jen Shaw being infamous. I also wonder if she thinks she is going to walk away from this. I mean, I wonder if sitting there today, Jen Shaw still thinks, oh, you know, the feds who have now prosecuted upwards of 30 people for the same thing have got it all wrong. I'm smarter. I know more. And a jury's going to understand that this was all a business deal. But I'm looking at Jen's negotiating skills as she's trying to talk to Heather um, at mm. the ice castle, wherever they were. Oh, my God. What the fuck was that? It was a, it was a the location looked amazing and I want to go there and drink. It mm-hmm. seems like a lot of fun or a head injury. One of the two or both. But <laughs> the latter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not good in snow, but um, <laughs> Jen turned everything Heather said around and and does this repeatedly and turning things back on her being her being picked on. And that's not going to work in a federal prosecution like that tactic isn't what it is. So and what's the status with her representation? Didn't she lose the pricey lawyers? She and now she has dropped the pricey lawyers. Um she still had, I mean, she's still represented in there. They had to put off trial in October because of COVID, which, you know, is, is a bummer, but it gives the government more time. This is not new to them. They've been doing these prosecutions, but it gives more, Jen more time to relish in the show airing, I suppose, and potentially being oh, at a reunion. I mean, and potentially getting a contract ASAP because if the new trial starts in March, shout out my birthday month with yep. the trial happening in New York City. Maybe I'll get a mezzanine seat. But if um, you know, if the trial happens in March and the reunion is gonna be filmed well before then, yeah. I mean, if I was Bravo, I would be like, sign me up ASAP stat. But is she gonna be available to film that whole season? Like, how do you think this is gonna end for her? Um 
I think this probably ends in a in a conviction for wire fraud and money laundering is how I think it ends. We, the The big questions will be: Does Stuart Smith testify against her? What does? Oh my what god! Do you Can think- I reserve that day? Do I we mean- get a cast list in advance. <laughs> oh, that would be great. Sorry. Excuse me to the AUSA. <laughs> yes. Can we get a cast list? Generally, though, in in depending on how they're doing things with COVID in the Elizabeth Holmes uh, Theranos trial, we're seeing really kind of a heads up of what witnesses are coming on what days. So yes, possibly you would know what witnesses are coming on what days. The government will have to put out a witness list ahead of trial um, for sure. And they'll have to do jury questionnaires because Jen is a high profile, I mean, a high enough profile figure that people would be aware of the case and will have listened to podcasts like this and commentary like ours. So they might be aware of the case. Um, So the jury will have to be screened for stuff like that. So yes, we would know if they're going to use Stuart in advance. When is jury selection? (laughs) That wouldn't start. Whatever the trial date is in March, jury selection would start then. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm just curious. You're like, put me up, put me in, coach. I'm ready for federal jury duty. I mean, my thing is I would never they would literally be like, what do you do? Okay, bye. But I I just want to be in the room where it happens in the sense of like, I want to see them interview prospective jurors. I don't. You can still go and do that if they open up the galleries. You can still go watch. Do you think that they will? I mean, you're allowed to watch. It's all open. With COVID, it's how open and how many seats are available. I mean, I know with the Theranos case, people are in line at like 4 a.m. outside the courthouse. Like, it's like OG iPhone days. I mean, (laughs) that's where I'm at. It's like, how much do I care? It's like, I care enough that if law and crime is allowed to like video it and stream it, that I'd pay for a subscription. Do I care enough for 4 a.m. wait line? Maybe I mean, not. it's not a sample sale. You know what <laughs> I'm saying? Like, call me sale. when Jen turns into a pair of shoes. I mean, though, if um, she testified on her own behalf, that would be. Oh, I'd be there. That, that would be a thing to see. That's Manolo. Yeah, that's and Manolo. You know it's she not will. quite Chanel, but it's Manolo. Yeah, you yeah. know she will. Um, She's too arrogant not to. And I think she'll feel that she can swing a jury to her side. I think what people don't realize about prosecutors is that they aren't playing an ego game. Prosecutors are trying to let defendants show the best of themselves. And we saw this recently in the Durst trial in LA. The prosecutor pissed off Durst so much that you saw this affect of this like withered old man snap. And the jury got to actually see the anger and see the other side. And that will happen with Jen Shaw too. I'm sure prosecutors will push her to the point where you will see some anger and she will absolutely have to be mindful of that because prosecutors can watch the show and know some of the things that push her buttons. Um, So they have an advantage there knowing how she is as a person and knowing a little bit about her background just from her being on television. Most of the time you don't quite know that much about a defendant going into a case. So it'll be interesting to see her be cross-examined um, and see how she responds to that kind of questioning. And speaking of questioning, yeah. you know, there's something to be said. I'm sure that some of your family members may feel similarly, but there's something to be said for a parent or relative being a litigator working in law in any way. You can't get away from it. Like I was brought up at the dinner table where I had to defend and research 
and provide <laughs> narrative and strength to any thought that I had. And it's very complicated even now to have conversations with my dad who is uh, on the sort of on the other side of litigation after many, many, many years in practice where it is very complicated because seemingly sometimes yeah. lawyer safe spaces are to be lawyers because that is their livelihood and also you it seems like your brain has also been molded you are able to view the the world in a very specific obviously highly educated and and strong yet different lens like there is a language that sometimes lawyers speak with each other with loved ones whomever that has been shaped by the profession of being in law it comes out it seeps out in all <laughs> kinds of fascinating and often um in borderline aggressive ways you're uh, like i know what it feels like to be cross-examinationed <laughs> welcome to growing up as a child trying to explain oh, why i needed a new pair of jeans <laughs> oh a hundred thousand yeah. percent I, and it's like well that's a conversation <laughs> you and i will have that over drinks but um yes when it comes to jen and coach shaw A person can do a couple things when their spouse is arrested. Find out as much information as humanly possible. Run in the other direction. Have this bring up a lot of old wounds in any kind of marriage or situation. Try to help. Try to um, be realistic. Be a supportive spouse. Many different aspects. And when that spouse is also a lawyer, how does a person respond to this? And how did they, you know, if Heather goes on Watch What Happens and says, I knew that there was something off. I knew that there was something, I forget the language that she, there was something, um, I, I forget the the language that she said in in talking about the case, but that, that she said that there was, was it always something a little weird. Yeah, something it was in like that realm. unsavory yeah, or something Yeah, it might like have been that. unsavory. It, something unsavory about Jen's profession. How do you navigate this if you're Coach Shaw? Well, if you're Coach Shaw, you would have been navigating it because she was deposed by the FTC about the same business. Like, this is not new. So was Stuart Smith. So, I mean, when when it's like, oh, what did Coach Shaw know? He knew enough because there's no way he didn't read that deposition transcript, talk to her about what was going on before <gasps> oh and after. Oh, my God. Like, he would have transcript. known. And parts of those depo transcripts are in stuff that the government's provided in this case. So we got to see bits of her talking about these businesses. So I don't know if Jen Shaw or Coach Shaw is just like, well, you know, it seems to be in the gray zone. And this is what her lawyers seem to be leaning into. Like, this is not fraud. This is maybe um, improper marketing practices. But those things are civil. Mm. The FTC deals with them. It's a fine. It's not prison time. So if Coach Shaw was lawyering his way out of it, he'd be like, well, this is a, you you marketed it wrong. This isn't really fraud. This is, this is a civil issue. So the government's well overreaching. I can absolutely see him taking that position. It seems to be the position her lawyers are taking. I disagree, <laughs> but I can see a lawyer convincing themselves of that. And maybe that's why they don't own a lot of property in their names and their renting houses. You can't, you can't forfeit a rental and sell it off to, to repay restitution. 
there's forfeiture provisions in these cases, but what is there to forfeit of Jen Shaw and Coach Shaw's life? Like there, there doesn't seem to be much. Was that smart of them then to not, because seemingly one of the foundational ways to maintain wealth or, or as just not, not a wealth thing, but, and as an investment is from what I've been told with people with good credit is owning property. Like you would think that would be. Generally, but if you're worried that the government might come and take things away, owning property means the government can come take it away. You can't money put into a rental can be tax deducted and isn't coming back. It's just gone. I don't know if Jen thought that the money would ever run out. I don't know how much money's been coming in since the others involved in this were arrested. But in the forfeiture provisions, Stort's house is listed there, like his home's listed. Um, There's no properties listed for her. So it's very, it'll be very interesting to see how this all goes down and how many around her she takes down with it. Um, And really what the other women what the other women knew, but no one on Twitter is asking what did Coach Shaw know and how much Coach Shaw benefited, probably because Coach Shaw has been under the radar, is not on social media talking about it, and doesn't have a song called Expensive to Be Me. But we've seen Coach kind of be low-key about this whole thing, haven't we? I mean, I really enjoy Coach Shaw, and I loved a Coach Shaw pep talk. I felt like they were always so insightful and interesting and supportive and smart, and I'm like... I guess I still want one, but I feel weird about them now because what were we pepping up? You know, like I don't, it feels a little oive to me, not in the ways that Erica has Erica. Feels a little fraudulent to you is what you're saying? Feels a little fraudulent. It's it's not that it feels fraudulent. I actually don't (laughs) think that it feels fraudulent. I think that it feels confusing and concerning to me because he seems like a certain kind of support system and yet it never really made sense to me that like Jen was the partner to this because it felt like she was bringing him down in many ways like into the depths and I know that that has a lot to do with being in mourning and feeling like your partner If your partner physically wasn't there when you needed them in the room and you were dealing with the loss of your dad, that can have not like generational waves of of pressure and stress, but that can that's going to last more than a little bit of time. And that's going to feed into and affect a domino effect in a lot of different areas of their family. But also Jen is still Jen. She does seem to be a relatively toxic person who is like front facing to her soul. It really only matters how she feels. If she reacts to something like the whole stuff with Brooks, she says he made fun of her vagina. I disagree with that. I think that I he discussed too. the fact that he was uncomfortable, right. but she because says he is, this is his mother's child. friend right? in his home. I would have been right. uncomfortable and if somebody was doing this around my kids. My kids would have been I, uncomfortable. Uh, yes. I am allegedly legally an adult human person. I do not Alleged. want to see anyone else's. I I do not unless I am. Yeah, don't share your parts Giving with me. consent. It's cool. Yeah, I'm good. I actually that would make me very uncomfortable. And yep. for him to dis- discuss that and her be like, well, 
he talked about it. And if he talked about it means he was making fun of it. And regardless, I felt a certain way. And so it's equal in weight. He referenced something that literally happened. And as a result, she has done months and months and months of punishing him and his family for that. And I could see the real stuff that has impacted her that has maybe hurt her or this you could argue that that really did hurt her regardless of whether or not it's like that's not really what happened but how many kids does Jen have like come on you're not that your vagina's not that insulted come on I mean but I think she was (laughs) I think she was but it's because it came through the lens of Jen and it's like how do you then weigh all of this other stuff when that alone got so much of a vengeful vibe from her, right. she wanted to punish him for that. So how does all of this How does other the actual criminal indictment fall in place when the offhand comment about her improper behavior was so big? You make an excellent point. I I I hate the way she went after Brooks. Mm. Um, I need some of the kids. There have been some really fantastic kids on Housewives. I need them to have a spinoff where we get to hear about like what their experience was. Maybe get them all sat down with a therapist. You get Gia in there. You get Vicky's Mm. kids in there. We just have like I need a special with the children, like the adult children. But you don't go after the kids. I think Jen's crossed a lot of lines in that. I I love your point that she felt kind of hurt and abandoned by Coach Shaw because he wasn't there for her when her dad died, which is might be unforgivable for Jen. But I wonder where Coach Shaw is sitting now that their house has been, you know, torn apart by the feds and she's, um, you know, going to stand trial on a federal indictment that is going to cast their their entire family in a different light, their lifestyle in a different light. And I imagine there's been questions about him at work too. So I don't know. I don't, I wonder how betrayed Jen Jen's husband feels you know and also a hundred percent and also betrayal comes in so many forms I mean we saw I think it was her nephew the scene with her nephew in her in her house where she's talking about the fact that he called her and said I need to move my family aka her family out of south central and she didn't even return the call so when we talk about betrayal Uh, Under immense pressure, she's not the only person in the world to go through stress. Here was a family member reaching out. I mean, good for her for owning up to it. But like, is that something she can ever really do? Like, and how does it work when it finds out that, you know, like she's talked multiple times and her family members have agreed with her that like her marriage to Coach Shaw is the foundation of their family's stability. That is a very real thing. Yeah. What happens when you find out that half of that partnership was doing all of this other stuff? And that's propping up the family, too. I mean, if people are living with her, mm. then they are all benefiting from what her business was bringing in, which is allegedly money from victims a lot of them over 55 who weren't computer savvy i wonder i'm curious as to how much the business is bringing in since the last arrests in 2019 and i don't know if we'll see a crack with the finances for her this season or not um but i can't imagine it didn't slow down because so many people were arrested so 
the the Jen Shaw stuff is very interesting to me. I wonder what Coach Shaw thinks of the way she went after Brooks. I can't imagine that Coach Shaw would be cool with the behavior if he knows about it that she's been wilding out on Twitter. Like she's been an asshole to everybody. Yeah, and her, part of her defense was like, I also have kids. How do you think they feel? And my gut instinct was like, embarrassed. Jen, you they they probably feel embarrassed. Everybody is embarrassed or hurt by your behavior. Right. The difference is they're not embarrassed because nobody else in the cast came back and used them as pawns to hurt that to hurt you, their yeah. mom. So they're probably upset and embarrassed, but again, it all ties back to you. And and her behavior. Like, there would be no comment about your vagina if you weren't acting wild at somebody's house. It's it's going to be an interesting season for me with Jen Shaw. It's going to be an interesting season, to be honest, with Whitney Rose, too. Like, it's mm. it's a lot of trying to prove that she's a free and sexually empowered woman. And I don't know how long I'm going to be able to ride with that storyline. I'm like, great, Whitney, but there's got to be more to you than that you are going to make jokes with a water bottle and tell your husband you want to wake up with him grabbing your boobs. Like, please, there has to be more. I would like, please let there be more substance to this season with her. I mean, there might be more substance. There might also be more secrets because there's allegedly some shit going on with his company. What? Yeah, that's a whole other. I'm going to have you back tomorrow. That's a whole other conversation. Can I ask you some Girl. just like genuinely <laughs> some stuff going on? Oh, yeah. No, we're going to have drinks. Um, yes. I, Just a couple rapid fire style, but feel free to speak extemporaneously. <laughs> feel free to it. not be brief because you're never brief. We love no, you me, all. I, all the ads God, in this one. <laughs> oh, my God. God bless. Favorite, um, favorite housewife show to watch? Favorite housewife show to watch? I mean... I miss like I I miss most OG New York with Bethany and everybody mm-hmm. because it was fun and escapist and great. But right now I can't turn off Beverly Hills because I want to continue to watch the train wreck. I mean it's it's giving a, it a is giving season and so is Salt, Salt Lake City is going to do the same thing once we wrap up with Beverly Hills. I am mm-hmm. disappointed that there's no New York reunion. I got to be honest. I but that was my second question. How oh. do you feel about the New York reunion? I'm disappointed. I feel like I feel like there's. A, I, I, does it matter how far out we are from the season airing? There are we all have questions. We are we are collectively as a Bravo community a little scarred from this year of New York. We want to know, and I don't know if I buy that it was scheduling issues. Well, I mean, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, and the Lord giveth Zoom and the network taketh away their passwords and Google Cows because what the fuck? We had yeah. Zoom reunions. Yep. Yeah, make it work. I don't think that's I it. I, th- I I just, yeah. I don't think the, I don't think the network wants to address Ramona's behavior this season. That's cynical, honest me. I don't think mm-hmm. they know how to account for everything that went down, which is really disappointing because I, yeah. I, Ramona wilded out this season. So, I mean, we kind of, I feel like there's no closure. I feel like we've all been left hanging and we are collectively a little scarred. Maybe New York's just going to take a break from here for a little bit. I mean, it should be taking a break anyway. But yeah. the worst way to take a break is when you're still in progress. You're still in motion. Like, there's no way to make a decision about the next chapter when you haven't officially closed this one. Yep. 
a spiritual housewife, not necessarily your favorite housewife, but the housewife you feel most connected to, you know, potentially questionable behavior and all. Who do you feel like, oh, I get this person. I I see myself in them or I understand this person regardless of whether or not I see myself in them. I just feel a connection to the choices and mistakes that they've made. Oh, it's too honest. But I do, I don't love this housewife, but I, I relate a right. lot to Emily Simpson. <laughs> do you? I, I can see, like, I get it. I get the lawyer with the mom. I get the struggle between, because my husband, until he retired, was a dental specialist. So I get the push-pull of like, but my career, but your career, but my career, but your career. Mm. Like, I don't understand their marriage I at all. Um, but I understand a lot of those dynamics and during COVID, like I felt that her response to the whole thing was the most relatable. And I was like, I feel you in this. Like, I feel you. I understand the kind of the messiness in the first season and doing the thing that lawyers do so well when they're uncomfortable in social situations is drink too much and then get very loud and argumentative. Can't relate, can relate, can relate way too much. What was her reaction to COVID? I haven't watched the last season. She, she was, she was fucking struggling. Her husband was was super sick. Her kids are at home. They're fine. She's sick. Everything's a mess. And she was like, she spent a lot of the time crying going, fuck, this is hard. I was like, Mm. yep. I feel you. Um, yeah, I get it. I get her like embracing that she was in pain and struggling with her weight. Also something I think a lot of professional women are like, where do I fall into my life? Like, where do I come in? And I I really saw from her storyline that she wasn't factoring into her own life a lot at all. And maybe up until she was on the show and then was like, oh shit, I have to find a way to make time for me in all of this. I don't know with everything she had going on if I would choose to be on a reality show, but you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't love that answer, but it's just honest. No, it's honest. <laughs> no, I love an honest answer. That's all I want in this world is yeah. an honest answer. It's just honest. And I think, I think that's amazing. Who's I can't relate housewife? to the wild wealth of a lot of the other housewives. Like that's not been my yeah. experience. I grew up, my dad was a high school principal. My mom was a flight attendant. Like we just didn't didn't grow up like that I don't have a ton of lawyers in my family that I was around Um, my aunt and uncle are attorneys but they lived on the east coast so we didn't get to see them all the time like it was just when I went to law school my parents are like that's gonna be expensive have fun with that (laughs) (laughs) good luck (laughs) aren't loans amazing um so it was really yeah I mean and I kind of I saw a little bit more wealth from Shane's family but I Mm -hmm. saw Emily like going kind of through that it's not just because we've got the same name in the same profession but anyway sorry you asked another question I was still explaining uh, no myself. I no I'm obsessed with this <laughs> I feel like I, I have to defend so myself but oh it just no is. I, no you don't but I love it um your trigger housewife who's the person that makes you possibly irrationally angry at the idea of them you just think that they're up to no good or there's just something about them for whatever reason that you just cannot fuck with in any way God, it's so hard to extrapolate beyond this season because right now it's Whitney. Like, it, it, she, I just can't even watch her on screen right now. She's pissing me off. But it's it. it there's something in that for me. But the it was the blowjob. It was the insinuating that she's blowing her husband for money that really put me mm. over the edge. And I think that's because I'm in an age gap marriage too. My husband's 11 years older than I am, and I'm like, that's not what this is. Like, don't 
don't try to make everybody be what you are. It just, she just, she's triggering me. That's probably not fair to her, but it's totally triggering me. It's all right. I'm making I mean, notes for therapy for fair. next week. No, and it's also, it's, <laughs> this is the thing when we talk about this stuff, it doesn't have to be fair. No, it's that totally not fair to her. That is the best and worst part about uh, housewives. housewives, our connection to it. We demand it when we want it, but we're probably not going to get it. And it's that tension of I love this person and you may not get why, but it's it is a window into sometimes who we are, the lens that we see ourselves in each other. And I, I just find it fascinating to explore. Yep. Listen, I could talk to you all <laughs> Forever. fucking day. I have to tell you in the past, I think tell the most me. triggering housewife was probably Kelly Dodd. Like she's probably the one I screamed mm. at the screen the most to, but because I'm in it this mm-hmm. season, Whitney feels very real, but Kelly fuck man season after season I'm like what are you what is wrong what are you doing why what are you doing and that just has always continued so do you think that's because she was so reactive is that where that came she's from, reactive she's messy she's mean mm, she mean, doesn't take accountability she gets really mean when she drinks like she mm. she is I think it leans into embarrassing her kid which I can't ride with at all like no, I'm going to be this mom. I'm going to be that. It's like, st- just stop it. You're doing this for you. Like, just please stop. I want to know, have you talked about your most triggering housewife? I don't know this. Um, I have, but I am more than happy Does it to shift? share. No, there is someone that's been a trigger for me. There are people who annoy the fuck out of me. Uh, Kelly would be an example of that, especially because I, she had like one solid season. And again, with the Tyra, we were all rooting for you. Um, but some of us knew better. I, uh, had, was maybe too filled with hope, but, um, <laughs> Danielle Staub is my number one. I think oh, she is fair. a dark spirit. I think that she is, um, not that this, uh, awards her any favor, but like such a broken person. I think that she was like, absolutely always um, up to no good. I do not believe anything that she did. I think that she was actively trying to punish people that went so over the line with people's families and kids. And she, the number one thing to me is don't bring a gun to a housewife event. And she brought an armed guard to go to dinner with Caroline, which was inexcusable and inappropriate in every possible way and I just think she is a I think she's because she assaults people I mean yeah she also assaults people so I can see why she'd want to protect herself she crossed that line yeah I think she's a dangerous person I think she's a genuinely dangerous person I would never want to interact with her I uh, she's just one of the one of the few where I actually am like a little scared of her because I I've seen what she can do and it's uh not not good were you surprised to see her on the hustler and the housewife I was annoyed by the fact that the only housewives so almost desperate for attention or whatever were Danielle and Dana Pam because it was used by people as an excuse not to believe the content or to pretend it was a joke like I think I might be remembering this wrong and I'm sorry if I am. I very well could be. But like Andy made some mention of it or somebody made some mention of it, a person of note where I was like, yeah, this doesn't really help. And also there was some fucking line in it where she's like, 
or on social or an interview or something where she's like, when we work together and watch what happens live. And it's like, bitch, you were next to her in a fucking chair for an hour. I don't for for 22 (laughs) minutes plus commercials and maybe a four minute after show, depending on when it was filmed. Like it was just I didn't love that. I didn't think it was necessary. I get why they needed it. But I also think because of the intensity of what was discussed, I do think it added a luster of like blah to it. Like these are not, I know that you want to have a face of the show in some way to give clarity, but Dana, Pam and Danielle are not the ones for me. I mean, I know Dana's now doing a lot of, um, exploring different housewives avenues of discussion and I think she has a pod and that's great it just that she was not ever a real full-time housewife Mm -mm. she was a friend and not during an Erica season and I just think you either go for it or you don't it just felt a little it felt a little off to me it felt a little odd sorry you were rapping Um, and then I had questions for you no I love a question I I don't want to rap ever but I just want to you know get you back as soon as possible which means unfortunately having to wrap this up and we'll get to see each other relatively soon yes uh in la la land in we'll la la land in, together we'll both be in the same city of Mojo, uh <laughs> in a couple days p.s any um uh la ags slide into my dms on ig let me know your recs for activities i have ideas of food yada but i want to know some they don't fucking walk in LA and I know that's like oh it's not real it really is real you don't walk walk. in LA you can't walk in LA because LA's LA's insane you have to pick where you're going and then park and then maybe walk around that area like it's like where are you going are you going to Larchmont great but are you going to Beverly Hills different are you going to the South Bay great different but it's it's so much driving it's so much traffic you'll understand all the road rage songs differently after you've driven in LA for a while and also like the 401 or 410 jokes or whatever 405 whatever the 411 yeah listen Andy Cohen may have the 411 but this episode definitely did as well um <laughs> so we'll see each other in LA yes. tell the people how to watch your show how to listen to you how to follow you how to support you. Absolutely. Official legal correspondent for Andy's <laughs> Girls. You guys, you need to do all of these things. Tell us everything. You can find me all over the internet at the Emily D. Baker. Once you know me, I am the, there's only just one of me. Uh, I'm on YouTube at the Emily D. Baker, which is where most of my content lives in playlists that are time stamped for you. So you can go find exactly what you need. The Emily show is on all of your favorite podcast apps comes out on Wednesdays and yeah, socials are at the Emily D Baker too. So you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter where I tend to leave mostly like, Oh, this just happened. Here's the quick, the quick bits Mm -hmm. um, on those socials. So that's where you can find me. I love that. And guys, while you're following Emily D. Baker on Instagram, give me a little follow at Dame Galley and sign up for the Andes Girls Patreon, the number one way to support the pod. Uh, Patreon.com slash Andes Girls. You get invites to special events, a little Zoom kiki. Listen, New York couldn't schedule one, but I definitely can. (laughs) Love a Zoom kiki. And bonus episodes. You get to even join premium tiers on Patreon and record a Patreon bonus episode with 
with me. So that's patreon.com slash Andy's Girls. And I have an exciting announcement coming this week. And I'm going to share it with the folks on Patreon first. So more to come on that. Emily D. Baker, thank you so thank much for you. being so generous with your time and your noggin, that beautiful brain. I cannot wait for you to come back. Can it be tomorrow? I love getting Your to only chat. Answer is yes. Yeah, of course, yes. And we're gonna. I think we're gonna turn you into a crime boss the next time we get together because you're oh like, I'm God. down. I'm so curious about all how all of this crime is going down. So we're gonna have that chat too. It's gonna be fantastic. I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm really, honestly, <laughs> I'm new to crime, but I'm into it. I really <laughs> I am you're kind like, of. You're into like I'm the crime. last person into true crime, but it's good. We'll talk all about it. <laughs> and I'm always wrong. I'm always, and also when they do like this, they have the audio of like the cop interviewing the person who's like a family member or whatever. Every time I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. They said that, yeah, they're covered in blood, but they said it's paint and we should just believe them. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just, I would be terrible. <laughs> I would just be like, that totally sounds about you. right. Yeah. <laughs> I totally believe you. Well, guys, um, believe me, this episode was amazing. Thank you again for coming on. And uh, to all the AGs out there, hope you'd enjoyed it. And uh, listen, stay safe, stay sane, get vaccinated if you can. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.